do you know what time it is? It's that time again with Cindy Gern, who has the latest news about employment trends, current opportunities, and innovative strategies for managing a career on WERA 96.7 FM in Arlington, Virginia. Hello, thank you for listening to The Workforce Show today. My name is Francesca Molinaro, and I'm the guest host for our science and technology features. And today, I'm really excited to have Perianne Boring here. She is the founder and president of the Chamber of Digital Commerce. And that is the world's largest trade association representing the blockchain technology industry. Perianne was named among Coindesk's 10 most influential people in blockchain in 2016 and a top woman in Bitcoin in 2015. She began her career as a legislative um, analyst on the Hill, and she's also a formal, former journalist. So she has a, a lot to say on these topics, and I want to just jump right in. So welcome, Perianne. Hi, thank you so much for having me. So let's get started. I'm curious, what is the Digital Chamber of Commerce? The Chamber of Digital Commerce. Oh, the Chamber of Digital yes. Commerce. There you go. Sorry about that. Uh, so we are a trade association. So we represent companies that are investing in and innovating with blockchain-based technologies. We have over 130 member companies. This includes financial institutions, banks, technology companies, startups, even consultancies like Accenture, KPMG, Deloitte. Uh, and law firms uh, and other consultancies that have practices in this space. Um, our mission is to promote the acceptance and use of digital assets and blockchain-based technologies. And we do that through working very closely with our members in the industry and government and helping build a legal framework that promotes innovation, jobs, and investment. So tell me, how did this get started? And what was your role in that? <laughs> yeah, so I'm the founder. I mean, this was really something I've, I've been with uh, since its inception. And it's kind of a long story. So I guess to, to kind of bring you back to, I guess, where it originally started and what my passion is and why I want to work in this industry. So I'm from Florida. I grew up in uh, Lakeland, Florida, a very small um, rural part of the country. And I, I went to school at the University of Florida, studied economics there. Uh, Florida um, was highly impacted by the 2007-2008 financial collapse, which mostly was a real estate, the busting of the real estate bubble. I did not know anybody that was not impacted by that. It was completely devastating to our community, to our state. I can't, I did not know anybody that did not feel the pain of that. People who had lost their houses, they went underwater, they lost money in the stock market, their savings, they lost their jobs because the economy was just tanking. Everywhere I looked, it was really upsetting that good people who did not make terrible financial decisions were being punished because the economy had turned. So I was studying economics and I just started asking questions, why is this happening? And what I found was really upsetting uh, when I really dug into the economic and financial kind of principles um, and policies. I realized, you know, how in debt our country is, uh, the leverage you have in the financial system, just the the instability in our economy. Um, and to me, that was incredibly frightening. So from that moment, I just decided I was going to dedicate my career to fighting for a better financial future for my generation and those that will come after me. And that 
that's why I moved to D.C. Um, and started working on the Hill. I worked um, for um, a member from Florida, um, advised on anything economic, financial services, tax, anything related to money. Uh, and I learned about Bitcoin in that process. So when I learned that there was this currency out there that was not controlled by the government or any corporation or any organization, to me as an economist, that was a fascinating topic. So I started following that on my own for several years. And then, <laughs> and then I guess this is kind of the beginning of where the chamber happened. So I first learned about this in like 2010, 2011 timeframe. 2013 was a pretty big year for Bitcoin. So um, that was the year uh, the price had increased over 3,000% in one year. So there was just a huge amount of interest in this space. It was starting to be talked about in the news. Um, but then there was also some some not so great things that were happening. So there was some pretty big black eyes. So there was Silk Road where people were buying um, drugs, illegal drugs online using Bitcoin. Not great. It was a highly publicized event. There was uh, an exchange called Mt. Gox that had lost about $500 million worth of consumer money. Just a company had just really not <laughs> done a great job of operating. And that led to another big black eye. Um, so 2013 was also kind of the year where D.C., started getting involved. So there were uh, there was a senator who called for a ban on Bitcoin. There were a, a number of agencies that were issuing warnings about how dangerous this technology is. There were multiple hearings on Capitol Hill. So there was kind of a lot happening, um, but there was really no one from the industry that was here in Washington that was able to explain to the policymakers what was going on. What is this technology? What had happened? Why, you know, why like, we may see some criminal activity, but we weren't really hearing the other side of the story. So to me, it was very obvious that this industry needed a formal representative to be here to represent the industry, to help people understand what are the benefits of this technology uh, and also make sure that the industry's voice is being represented in those conversations. So we found the chamber in July of 2014, which was, um, again, kind of at the very bottom of the PR slump for Bitcoin, where um, we had a senator who called for a ban on Bitcoin again. And, you know, it was very, th this industry had no legitimacy at all in this town. And in less than uh, three and a half years, we've completely turned that around. We now have a congressional blockchain caucus in Congress. We have multiple people throughout the administration and the agencies who have come out and publicly said blockchain is an important technology. We now have champions all throughout government um, who are able to recognize the potential of this. So I, I think the, the work we're doing is really important um, that the industry's voice is a part of the conversations that happen in the most powerful city in the world. And that's fascinating to me that you had the foresight to think ahead and the need for having a body like this to really both advocate and, and educate. Um, you've mentioned... Bitcoin several times in our conversation. And you really um, can't watch the news these days without hearing about the cost and the, the increasing price of Bitcoin. But blockchain is more than just a cryptocurrency. And I think there's a lot of confusion out there as to what blockchain is. So my request is, can you define what blockchain is for our listeners in uh, in layman's terms? Okay, so I'll explain this in the, the most simple terms I can come up with. So 
and we'll I I'll draw a parallel to the internet. So the internet is a um, is a way to share information. So think of email was the first consumer application for the internet. Send a message online instantly anywhere in the world, peer to peer, so directly mm-hmm. with somebody, basically for free. Um, it's also a place to share any type of 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 information. So think of the media industry, the content from the news. Um, but, you know, any type of information you need, the internet is a great way to share that. Um, it's not a great place to share anything of value. We know this because of the trillions of dollars in cyber attacks and hacks that happen every year. So blockchain is a value transfer protocol. It's a piece of infrastructure to share assets, things of value. So think, so Bitcoin was the first use case for blockchain that was a currency. So send a simple currency peer to peer anywhere in the world instantly for free or almost for free. Um, But just as the internet is more, is bigger than email, you can do more with Mm -hmm. the internet than send email. Blockchain, you can do more than send money. Blockchain is bigger than just Bitcoin. So any any asset, a tangible or an intangible, could be represented in a digital form and tracked and traced and traded on blockchain. So this could apply to your identity. So identity theft, one of the biggest issues we have in the world. This could apply to the title to your house or your car, where it's represented in a digital form or a token. It could apply to any type of financial instrument, whether it's money or stocks and bonds. Again, any type of um, asset, tangible or intangible, potentially could be recorded on a blockchain. So what? where do you think, there's a lot of innovation right now in blockchain. And as you just mentioned, the applications go far beyond currency and financial transactions. We can talk about digitizing other types of of transactions or where you need um, contracts or signatures. So where do you think innovation in blockchain is going and, and how will we be using this in the future? So it's, it's kind of a complicated question. So I see this as really the next level of the internet. And in fact, I, I would even say that I believe this is the most important technology I will see in my entire lifetime, and I compare it to as important of the invention of electricity. It's going to completely change the world we do business uh, and share things with each other as a society, as a community, but also as businesses. Uh, So it's going to work its way into a lot of different business processes. Um, There's another application that we use with blockchain called smart contracts, where you can automate contracts with code major applications for legal, uh, for insurance, for supply chain, uh, where you uh, can automate a lot of claims and a lot of the processes, which today are mostly manual. So I think it will um, help eliminate paper-based systems, uh, but also make uh, the inner workings of business much more efficient. So one of the um, things we're really curious and interested in here is the workforce and, and how new technologies impact the way we think about work, the way we carry out work. I've read a lot about the fact that there's a lack of skilled blockchain developers out there. Can you comment on that? Yeah, that that's absolutely true. So that's probably the biggest issue 
our members raise at the Chamber of Digital Commerce is retaining talent and, and finding talent. So this technology, blockchain, is nine years old. It's less than a decade old. Uh, you can't go to school to be a blockchain developer. There's just there's there's some schools out there that have maybe one or two classes, but it it's. Um, there is a huge education of the workforce issue. Most of the developers uh, and computer scientists in this space are self-taught. So it's caused a, a huge challenge. Um, so for anyone who has technical skills, uh, if you can spend a little bit of time researching about blockchain, you can have massive opportunities in this space. And it really, um, I mean, it's really a breakdown of some of the bigger education challenges that we have in this country. This isn't an issue that's specific to blockchain, but it absolutely does um, affect the blockchain industry. So what do you think some of the solutions to that could be? Or what do we need to be doing if we're thinking about this revolutionary technology um, and we're preparing ourselves for the future? Yeah, so I mean, it's kind of a, a tiered issue. One would be having the the universities having blockchain center of excellences, training 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 the workforce and preparing the workforce. The other would be certification programs, so building accredited certification programs above and beyond what the major universities provide. But for others who may not want to go to university, having another course for them to just be able to to enroll and get certified. We need to be certifying tens and thousands or hundreds of thousands of people a year to really be able to scale this industry effectively. And then the other would be, I guess the last kind of third tier of that would be the foundation, which would be ensuring that people in the early stages, or children in the early stages of their education, know how important STEM is and steering people into STEM education. A lot of, um, there's there, <laughs> another separate issue above and beyond. Um, the other um, issues in this country would be the student loan debt bubble that's looming. And there's a ton of people who went to college for degrees that are not very useful. But if someone had given them a little bit of direction saying there's a huge shortage in STEM, these are the most profitable um, types of uh, certifications uh, and you know educational path you can take, steering people in that direction would be incredibly helpful. And there's very little leadership in this country that's guiding young people into making really smart decisions in terms of what they want to study. Does the Chamber of Digital Commerce play any role in in promoting um, people considering careers in this area or educating? Is that a place where I could go to find out more? So at the the Chamber of Digital Commerce, that's a trade association. That's not one of the key pillars mm -hmm. of what we work on. It's more of a foundational um, it's kind of a bigger issue above and beyond public policy, but um, we are uh, in the process of launching our foundation, so the foundation of the Chamber of Digital Commerce, which is a C3, which is focused on um, uh, academic, more, more academic research, scholarship grants, um, bigger challenges above and beyond public policy. So we are building a, uh, a foundation that um, one of our key pillars is addressing the educational issue. That sounds really exciting. Um, you know, you mentioned getting young people interested in STEM. When we talk about science and particularly tech, um, there's a huge gender gap in the yeah. in the sector, um, and I would assume that's similar to um, blockchain. So what advice would you have for women who are interested in, in working in this space? 
there there is a big gender gap in the blockchain industry. There's a big gap in in financial services industry and in the technology industry. There's an even bigger gap in fintech and even bigger gap yeah. in in blockchain. So the more specific you get, the the more emphasized that becomes. Uh, we estimate that there's between five and ten percent women working in this space. So it's heavily male dom- dominated. Um, for me, I grew up in a family with all boys. I have an older brother and a younger brother, so I kind of grew up in in that environment where I kind of thrived in in the middle of the chaos of being around um, in that in, in, of that. And so, uh, for women who want to work in this space. Um, women are different. Women's instincts are much different than men. Women are natural communicators, like through evolution. We've always been the communicators. This industry has a massive communications problem. No one understands what Bitcoin is. Nobody yeah. understands what blockchain is. There's no women in this space. Are we are we very surprised that, commu- that communication and PR specifically is a challenge? So those who have a talent to communicate, that there's absolutely a need for you. Women are also uh, natural nurturers and protectors for obvious reasons. There's also been some security gaps in this space. Women are are trained to think through security issues and those types of challenges. So again, I think there is a massive role for women to play in this space. So if you're thinking about getting into Bitcoin, if you're thinking about getting into blockchain and you're a woman, um, don't be intimidated by the fact that it's a lot of guys. I mean, just know that that's what walk into that with eyes wide open. Know that what you have to offer is going to look very different than what other people may be providing or the services type of companies that they're launching. But go with your instincts, follow your gut, um, but also have a support system behind you. Have an inner circle of people that can be your mentors and your advisors because uh, you know, starting a company or starting an organization or trailblazing is, is never easy. So you need to have a support system to to be with you through that journey. Yeah. And and you're a good example of someone who followed their passion. And <laughs> and this is where it's led you um, to to start this, um, this organization. Um, so I, I, I'm really curious, because um, you just talked a little bit about um, security or, or, you know, women, um, that protective instinct. And initially, you also mentioned some of the the early stage black eyes around um, blockchain or Bitcoin, in particular. Um, is there anything that we should be worried about um, regarding a more widespread adoption of blockchain? I mean, I think this technology is incredibly exciting. I think it poses one of the biggest opportunities for our generation. However, the the assets that are affiliated with blockchain, so the digital assets, these cryptocurrencies, the Bitcoin, Ethereum, and others, um, you have to understand that these are crypto assets. So if you want to engage in this ecosystem, if you want to if you want to buy Bitcoin or if you want to buy Ethereum or maybe you want to trade it or maybe you want you want your own identity token or whatever it is, um, you really need to understand um, public key cryptography. And I really don't mean to get into the details because that uh, people's eyes glaze over it at that point. But what's fundamentally different about the token economy or the blockchain economy and our current monetary system is that with 
with Bitcoin, with blockchain, the user actually takes custody of their coin. So these tokens are barter instruments, very much like the paper fiat dollars that you hold around today. Tokens are barter instruments. So you're taking on a responsibility of, of, of the asset itself. There's a lot of benefits to that, but it also poses a greater degree of responsibility. So a big piece that we're working on right now is helping educate the, the, ma- the public, the masses, the retail consumer, how to the under how how to understand um, how to protect your keys, and that's the most important thing is how do you protect your public keys and the the public key cryptography. And if you can understand that, then you can navigate this space. But if you don't know what I'm talking about, if you don't understand that, you need to figure it out first before you start buying <laughs> Bitcoin or other other tokens. You know, it's funny because I was at a holiday party this past weekend and this came up in conversation. Someone was ready to purchase Bitcoin and when he realized that he had to put out so much personal information, he kind of got a little scared and then and then retreated from that. So where would I go to get that information to understand more about cryptography and my keys if I was so inclined? Yeah, so we're working on a primer right now. Um, Bitcoin.com has a FAQ page that's actually pretty good. Um, that kind of goes into the nuances between what does it mean to to take custody of the asset versus to let an exchange hold your keys. Um, again, it's important to understand that that hosted versus non-hosted um, offerings, different wallets that are out there to truly you know ensure that you have your assets properly secured. Thanks. I mean, I think that going back to part of how we started this conversation, these are words that people hear, but I think that the the common understanding of this is is still pretty limited. So the more we can educate people, I think the, the better off we are. Um, I want to go back to, to thinking about the workforce and, and organizations again. We already talked about the fact that um, cryptocurrencies is only one application, and this is really around secure transactions, um, and that blockchain has multiple applications, which I'm sure are going to continue to evolve and develop over time. So when you put this in the context of an organization, um, organizations collect a lot of personnel information. There's a lot of um, legal transactions that organizations conduct on a daily basis. Um, all, all sorts of transactions that are happening where we're sharing information. If I'm a CEO of an organization today, what do you think I need to be thinking about when I'm looking at blockchain and my business strategy? So every company should have a blockchain strategy, very similar to how companies decades ago needed to have an internet strategy. This is fundamentally going to change the way we do business on many, many levels. If you don't understand how blockchain will impact your business and your bottom line, you are behind. So we work with a lot of major companies around the world, helping them understand how this is going to impact their business and helping them build a strategy to keep pace with innovation. So depending on what you do, whether you're an insurance company or maybe a car dealer uh, or technology provider or, or something else, uh, this, this is going to impact everybody. Um, so 
the other thing would be there's over a thousand blockchains in existence today. Not every blockchain fits every use case. So depending on what you would use blockchain for, um, every company is going to have a different strategy. We, we can help people navigate through that. We can help businesses really understand and kind of get into the details of what I mean by that. Um, but don't have a Kodak moment. Understand <laughs> and recognize the potential that this technology will have on the workforce um, and ensure you have a strategy in place to keep up with that. Yeah, thank you for that. I think it's 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 really fundamental that when we think about innovation and how technologies such as blockchain are going to impact us, we really want to be ahead of the curve and instead of behind the curve. Um, I think that's that's really fundamental for our companies to keep thinking about what's happening and, and adapting um, versus a wait and see approach. Yeah, so I'll walk you through an example. So Overstock.com was the first public company to accept Bitcoin for payment. So they started accepting Bitcoin for couches and sheets and whatever else you, you buy on Overstock. And through that process, they learned a lot more about blockchain and how this technology works. They've set up a investment arms called Medici Ventures and um, where they're investing in other companies in this space. Um, but they've also, and one of those portfolio companies is T0, which is a subsidiary of Overstock. In that subsidiary, they have built a stock exchange, a private stock exchange that is built on the Bitcoin blockchain. And today they are trading private shares of Overstock stock on their own blockchain. So they've kind of circumvented the whole, um, uh, I guess, the whole exchange uh, process. Uh, with private shares. So it's, it, it's it's an early steps. But you went from an online retailer now transforming and, and incubating technologies that impact stocks and tradings. Um, they learned a lot through that process and their business model is changing because of it or is, has p- potential to change because of it. And um, we're going to see a lot more companies that make you know big pivots in their business model who are able to leverage this technology for their benefit and, and creative ways that are hard to predict. Amazing. Uh, it's like leapfrogging the te- technology to, to make changes. I, I did not know that about Overstock. We only have about a minute left. And so I wanted to end sort of where we, we started. We, we started off by talking a little bit about the, the cryptocurrencies out there. Where do you think this is going in the future? So my background as an economist is really focused on monetary policy and Where I see our monetary system going, which is something I've been following my entire career, I think our monetary system is fundamentally flawed. A lot of the, I think 2007 and the 2008 collapse was kind of a snapshot into how broken that system ultimately is. I truly believe that in my lifetime, perhaps within the next 15 to 20 years, we will see a a fundamental breakdown of the monetary system that will require the world leaders coming together and rethink the way we we regulate and issue money. I believe there'll be another Britain Woods-like meeting that will happen. And my prediction is that blockchain will be a keystone part of that conversation. Perianne, this has been fascinating. I feel like we've only had the opportunity to, to scratch the surface on this. So I think we need to stay tuned and, and maybe invite you back to hear more about um, blockchain and, and how it's impacting everything we do. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me. Thank you for being a guest. Thank you for tuning in to The Workforce Show. 
This interview and others can be found at WERA.FM or at CareerCentralOnline.com. Thank you for listening. Until the next time.